I would like to share with you about what it means to build a city of peace. I, I was drawn to the picture on the wall as we walked in today, and I was thinking about that. That was just such an Anastasia, and the crew drew that with chalk while we were closed down for COVID, made use of the time, and just an absolute beautiful picture, and it really captures what it looks like. Now, you all know I'm from New York City, and I went to school in upstate New York. So I would drive back and forth. I came through Route 80 in New Jersey, that Delaware Water Gap, beautiful thing. And when you're 90 miles away from New York City, you can see the glow out in the distance. You can see, you don't even need a road map. You just follow the glow and eventually you'll get to New York City. And the reason for that is not because they have these big beacon lights that go up into the sky. It's because hundreds of thousands of lights have been turned on on the inside of the buildings inside of a city. And that's what makes it shine so bright. So a city is nothing more than a group of individual homes who have all said, we are all going to keep our lights on. We'll keep the light on for you, like the Motel 6 commercial, right? We'll keep our lights on. It's a group of people who have decided that we are going to let our light shine. And when we stay together, gathered in one place, then it becomes a city set on a hill that you couldn't hide even if you wanted to. You can't hide New York City, and it's not even set on a hill. It's about even with sea level. You can see it from dozens of miles away, maybe hundreds of miles away. I want to share with you about the establishing of cities, because we're looking at David's life right now, and we just finally got to the good part. Finally, after all these years of running for his life, he's king. He finally made it. Everybody who peeked ahead knew it was going to happen. Well, you read the rest of the book too, and you knew it was going to happen eventually. But there came a point in time where David finally was first anointed king at Hebron, city of rich heritage where Abraham made covenant with God. It's a place where all of the patriarchs made their home and just a couple dozen miles south of Jerusalem. But up until now, Jerusalem had never been a city. It had never really been a place where God's people dwelt. And I want to look a little bit at what David did and why that particular location was the place where everybody knows. You, where's the capital of Israel? Where is, where's the center of God's chosen people's place of living? It's Jerusalem. But it wasn't that way until David made it so. And I, I feel like right now is an hour, all the more, where we need to be a people who understand the responsibility that's fallen on our shoulders. Remember, I hope, I hope you've caught it by now. Looking at David's life is not to say, here's a superhero of the faith. Nobody's going to aspire to that, but we can learn some things from his life. Every last one of us is responsible to take the authority given to us. When Jesus said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given unto me, if we're his body in the earth, that means we are the embodiment of his authority. You know, we use the term a body politic, right? How many of you believe the word church is a religious term? Said nobody at Hillside because by now I, I feel like I'd have to pack it in. <laughs> church is a governmental term, has been from the first time Jesus used it. It means a gathering of people who know what heaven's decree is and have said, we will take responsibility where we live, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my city, in my nation, in my part of the world, wherever I've given influence, God's given me influence, that will now become a place where the authority of the kingdom of heaven has now come. So we are all David, okay? We are all people who have God's heart. How many of you here have God's heart today? You're going to make me preach the gospel again if you don't raise your hands. You know, if you're in Christ, Christ in you is not a metaphor, we have his heart. 
We can become the embodiment of everything that Christ is. And so we started this series, what, 21 weeks ago, looking through David's life. Something really came alive again around Christmas time, and just a little bit of review for those who have just joined us in this. When the angel came and pronounced the birth of Jesus was coming, he said to Mary, he'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. The throne of his father David. Not just any throne. The king of all kings owns all the thrones in the world. The king of all kings could sit anywhere he wanted to. But there was something that David did in his life that when the Son of God would become incarnate, when God would take on flesh, where he said, that is a throne I feel somebody prepared for me. That's a throne. He made, David made a place for the Son of God to come and say, I'll pick up where he left off. What he established, the foundation he laid, think of that, the Son of God himself. Of all the kings who have ever lived, all the great people, all the great heroes of the faith that we read about, David, God said, David, that's the one right there. I want to be identified with him. How many of you would love it if two millennia from now, God would say, hey, you remember that throne that Wayne built for me with his family? Uh, that's where I want to start my work right here. That, that's where I want to go. So that throne that Sylvia made for me, yeah, that would be a great place for me to begin my work in the world. How many of you would love to have that as your long-term legacy? long after you've gone to rest with your fathers. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. David died. He was buried in Jerusalem. But Jesus picked up his kingdom, and now it endures forever. We have potential to do that with our lives. This is one of those, you know, I think this is a time in history where it's a really amazing time. I'm only in my 50s right now. Some of you are a little bit older than that. I'm avoiding eye contact, so I don't offend anybody. But some of you have been around, you've seen the 60s, maybe even seen the 50s. You've seen times of war, you've seen times of tumult before, but there's something very unique about the hour that we're in right now, and it just feels like God's up to something. Does anybody else sense that? Yeah. That God's just up to something, and we can either be those who sit back and watch and see, yeah, I wonder what's going to happen next, or we can be those who take action as David did in his day and said, you know what, that place right there, that belongs to God. And I think I'm going to have to do something about that. I think I'm not going to wait for one of my kids or grandkids or some generation down the road. Right now, I'm going to take responsibility for what God's put in my hands. And whatever it is, whether it's a small business, whether it's a cubicle in some giant corporation, this place now is going to be like heaven just invaded this place. And I'm going to consecrate it and dedicate it. I will fight for it. I'll bleed for it. I will contend for it. But this is going to belong to God from here on out. That's the heart of David. That's the one who's got God's heart. And, and in every generation, God's always looking for those, seeking for those who will make room for him to establish his kingdom in the earth. That's why he taught us to pray as he did. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a pipe dream, pie in the sky. God, I really hope you do it somewhere sometime. That is a prayer that says, I am here saying, come kingdom of God. Start with me. Start with me and all the works in my hands. It's all yours. I don't have my church life over here, and then I have my secular, secular life over here. Everything that we do now is going to have the touch of heaven on it. This is taking responsibility to make our light. One of those windows is you in that city. And when you get a thousand of them together, that makes for a nice town. You get a few hundred thousand like New York City. Now you can't hide that thing. Now people can see by that light. Now people want to flock to that place and say, what have you got going on? 
but every city had somebody who started it. I don't know who began Manhattan. I know some Dutch people, but there were people there before. I don't know enough about Manhattan's history, and that doesn't matter. Somebody established it, though. Somebody got it started. Somebody always is the initiator. Why not you? Why not me? David started his journey with God as a faithful shepherd, seventh-born son, forgotten by his own father when the prophet came to the house and said, bring all your sons to me. And he just grew up throwing rocks at lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And he just, he was faithful. He watched over those sheep. Then came an hour where the prophet came and said, you're going to be the one. He had no idea. That was, and he had no idea what that even meant. And we've been watching his journey. We've been watching what God did and how he was faithful with what God gave to him. He knew how to be faithful to serve in the palace and he knew how to be faithful to God when God took everything out from under him and the enemy tried his worst. He knew what it meant to cry out to God, how long must I wait for you forever? And then end the song with, but how I trust in your unfailing love. He showed us how it was done to contend first for the kingdom here. And I gotta say, until the king has been established here, until nothing can take it away, until you don't need the voice of a pastor or a podcast or a book, not even this book. This book is most helpful of all, but where we don't need anything external, but we've got such a kingdom on the inside of us that hell can't take it away no matter how hard it tries. There is something about this thing. We've got it so strong in us that, that we're not offended because somebody didn't hug us at church and now we're going to walk away from God. We're not going to run away from the kingdom because somebody hurt us or somebody let us down or anything like that. There's no angel in hell, no demon, angel in hell, angel in heaven, no demon in hell. Let's get them straight. And there's nothing that'll separate us from that love of God. Why? Because it's in here. The kingdom's established. And if you've got the kingdom established in you, then my exhortation to you today is it's time to establish your city. So, God is territorial. He's a territorial God. He's still even under the notion that the earth is still his and all the fullness thereof, if you can imagine that. He still believes that everything he created is still within his purview and that he's given it to us so that we can extend an invitation and say, swing wide, you ancient gates, that the king of glory might come in. And he's looking for that in the earth. But there are places that are sacred, in the Old Covenant, it was geographical. Gilgal was the place of renewing covenant. Hebrew, Hebron was the place where the original covenants were made. And Jerusalem was a place, as we'll see shortly, that God said, that is going to be the place where my name's going to dwell. And everybody's going to know that name. You think of how many hundreds of thousands of cities there have been in ancient times. And we know the names of some of them because somebody made us study history. Christians know the names of more of them than most because they're in the Bible. But Jerusalem stands tall above all of them. In the Old Covenant, it was a geographic location. In the New Covenant, Jerusalem above is the mother of us all. And wherever we go, we are establishing cities of peace. Wherever there are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're establishing Jerusalem. So let's look at what happened here. Uh, we're in 2 Samuel 5, and this will be a great moment for David. It's after he's established as king. Where am I picking up here? Did I say verse 3-ish? All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. We looked last week at 
the third, this is the third time now that David's been anointed, and this will now be to, to lead all of God's people, be over the whole kingdom united as Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. 30 years old, that man has lived more life than almost anybody I know already. You think of all of what he's been through. We've seen his journey. That man has lived, and the way that he has behaved, it always says he behaved himself wisely. The way that he went about following after God and not letting things get him off to the left or to the right, no matter what happened, he always had his heart set toward God. And at 30 years old, God said, now's the time. I can think of somebody else who was prepared, who knew who he was, who knew he was the king of all kings. And it wasn't until he was 30 years old that he began his reign as king of all kings. You ever wonder why? Why did Jesus have to wait till he was 30? I was, I was all of 24 years old. I was in seminary. This is before I dropped out. I was in seminary working for a moving company. Our firstborn was, was early. Like he was early in life and then he came out premature early at birth too. And, and nothing was happening the way my wife and I had it planned. We had it so planned out. If God would have just listened to us, right? We had it so well planned out. And here I am working for a moving company, schlepping furniture, getting cussed at, and working, you know, studying at night, raising a baby, and doing all of this at once. And I remember turning to God saying, this is really going to delay the plans that we had, you know, together. I mean, I'm called to be a pastor, and I'm here doing this. And, you know, clock's ticking. I'm 24 already. I remember just feeling such a comfort of, you know, the Lord saying, son, I knew who I was, what I was when I was 12 years old. And I didn't start till I was 30. So just chill out a little bit. You know how God speaks to you in your native language? Just chill, son. It's going to be all right. You got a lot to learn, he said. I had no idea how much I had to learn. Now what? The, the joy of getting older, how about it? Each decade of life, you know how much you don't know. You understand more about how clueless you actually were when you thought you knew it all. You know, everything in your 20s. I knew more about parenting before I had kids than I do now with six kids, right? We know more about life. We got it all set. I took a class, right? I read a book. Now I know how to do life. And all these adults, man, if they would just get their act together, then you live a little bit. You go, I don't know anything. And then you get in your 40s. I really know nothing. You get in your 50s. Like, I am desperately ignorant of all things. And it's part of the joy of growing up and the, how life humbles you if you're not humble, right, on your own. So David was 30 years old when he became king. He still had a lot to learn. And as we'll see in the next few weeks, there were going to be weaknesses exposed in him even after that decade or more of wilderness with God, where God shaped him and sculpted him to be a king. There was still a lot left to learn, but boy, did he start out well. And we'll see more of that as we look Look ahead. So at Hebron, it says he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all of Israel and Judah. Now, verse six, the king and his men went to Jerusalem. This is the first time the city of Jerusalem comes up in a long time in the scriptures. Some of you, I might test you to see, we've only been 20 weeks in David's life. David's already been to Jerusalem, hasn't he? All right, Bible trivia in front of all of you, see who's paying attention. Why did David go to Jerusalem a few years ago? What did he bring to Jerusalem? Micopedia, what's the answer? He had Goliath's head, which is one of the weirdest things in all the old days. Cut off Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem, which wasn't even called Jerusalem yet at that point in time. He brought it there as if to stake his claim, and he kind of looked up, and, and I think it was more like a, I'll be back, you know, kind of thing, like, 
I've just established myself now as shepherd of Israel by killing that wolf that tried to devour the flock. And when I come back to this place, this will be the place that I'm going to rule from. He did that a few years ago. Then he ran for his life for a bunch of years, and now he's coming back again. So the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, and the city was called Jebus at that point in time, the inhabitants of the land. And they said to David, you shall not come in here, but the blind and lame will turn you away, thinking David cannot come. And that's what they sound like in my brain. I'm sorry. But nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind, or uh, you could say reach the lame and the blind. So he's not talking about people who are lame and people who are blind. He's mocking the Jebusites who are mocking him, saying, you'll never be able to take this place. We could defend it. It is so fortified. We could defend this place with blind people and lame people. And that's what this is about. David did not hate lame people. I've read some articles like, what was his deal? That was not. He was mocking them as they were mocking him. So, okay, why don't you go take those lame and blind people out then? Um, you shall not come in here and David cannot enter here. So David captured the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind who are aided by David's soul through the water tunnel. Therefore, they say the blind or the lame shall not come into the house that David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And he built all around it from Milo and inward. Now, Chronicles tells us that Joab was the one who, who did the shaft and got in behind the city, opened the doors and they came in and, and took over the stronghold. So David became stronger and greater for the Lord of hosts was with him. So the city of Jerusalem now will belong to David. It'll belong to God's people. Jerusalem literally means, and this is one of those things, you study it and get five different Hebrew scholars and they'll tell you five different meanings of the name Jerusalem. What we all agree on is the city of peace. It can mean they will see peace or it can mean the foundation of peace, meaning the place where peace will be built from here. This is where peace begins and then it spreads. As you build a house on a foundation, this is the beginning place for the peace that's going to come into the earth. Or it could mean possession of peace, meaning the place that's owned by those who practice peace. Or maybe the Prince of Peace himself. The ancient city of Jerusalem was built on two mountains. The city of David was built on Mount Zion. And what had been claimed for Jerusalem centuries before by Abraham himself was Mount Moriah. So these two cities made up the beginning of it. Current Jerusalem surrounded by seven mountains. It's a beautiful place. Can't wait to get there. We're all going to go there one day on a tour with our beloved brother Don Boyd. Don, if you're listening, we're still on for that someday. Who knows how to get us behind? And Don, I have a request. I want to climb that water shaft. I don't know if you can get me in there or not, but it's the spring of Gihon. And, and they found it. They think they found the place anyway. And you, you're climbing in this thing. More on that in a little bit. So Jerusalem was sanctified first as a righteous stronghold or a heavenly stronghold by Abraham. The word Zion means stronghold. And, you know, we talk so much about demonic strongholds because the scripture does address that. We need to deal with demonic strongholds. But I'm going to tell you that God knows how to build a stronghold much better than the devil does. God is much better at building. He makes cities that cannot be penetrated. Every demonic stronghold, start with Jericho, standing up on the walls, mocking Israel as they go around. That can come down with some trumpets to strike up the band. 
and that's the end of that stronghold. But a heavenly stronghold, well, that's going to last some generations. That's going to last for as long as the people who live within the walls of that decide we're going to maintain this and we're going to preserve it for the generations to come. God knows how to build strongholds. So it was first established, Abraham met the king of Salem, it says, after he went and rescued his, his dumb nephew Lot and he got captured by a bunch of kings and Abraham brought all the men from his house. They brought Lot back and it says the king of Salem, whose name was Melchizedek, Melchizedek came out. He brought wine and bread with him. It's like they broke bread. And it says that Abraham gave him a tenth of all of what he owned. That and Now, this is before the law of Moses. Nobody talked about tithing as giving to the Lord. In that day, tithing was to give the king's portion. So Abraham, in giving that, which was the first instance of tithing in the Bible, it was a free will offering declaring, you're my king, the God that you worship on Salem, Mount Salem, or what would later be Jerusalem, that's my God. I can see that we, we share the same God, and we know that he's a type shadow of Jesus, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But Abraham consecrated that territory, made a, he made covenant with the land, if you will. When we got saved, our lives then became covenanted with God. We became one with him. The, being the bride of Christ, again, it's not just a metaphor. We became covenant people. We're joined with him in an eternal covenant from that day onward. That's the beginning of it. And Abraham had made covenant then through the priest with the God of heaven. Now you all know what he did on Mount Moriah just a few years later. Well, it was a bunch of years later after Isaac was born and Isaac grew a little bit. And then God said, I want you to sacrifice your only son. I want you to put your son on an altar, but not just anywhere. Abraham was living in the Oaks of Mamre down in Hebron at the time. He said, I want you to go up to Mount Moriah. I want you to go to Moriah. And there you're going to bind your son to an altar and you're going to sacrifice him to me. And all the way there, can you even imagine? Just imagine that journey. Not only for Abraham, but Isaac, who was old enough to run away from the old man. Abraham was at least 115 by now. Isaac could have booked it out of there when he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. what do you mean? There's the wood. There, but where's the sacrifice? And he was, uh, God will provide it, son. And he's like, yeah, I think, I think the way you're looking at me right now, he could have gone away. The two of them made covenant together and consecrated that ill. And as you know, that's where God introduced himself as Yahweh Yireh, the Lord who sees or the Lord who provides because he sees. And in that place, that became consecrated. We're going to see what David did to consecrate that even further, but you're going to have to wait. Now, that was called a teaser. Some of you read ahead and you already know. But David would consecrate the entire city, picking up all the ancient promises of God, all the ancient covenants that were made in that specific spot. It was a meaningful spot. It wasn't just some random, it's not the highest spot in all of Israel. It's not even the most beautiful spot in terms of, you know, the other lush valleys and, and places like that in Israel. But it's a holy place and there is something. I haven't been there yet. But everybody who's gone there and actually, but how many of you have been to Israel, by the way? I'm just curious. You've been, oh, I can't wait. Everybody I know who's been there said there is just a feeling of, I have stepped into heritage that is thousands of years old and have connected with all of God's people since the beginning of time that happens in that place. So God had his heart set on Jerusalem as a heavenly stronghold, 
for centuries before David came along and consecrated it. David was already king at Hebron. That's a beautiful area. That's the place where all of the patriarchs made their home. It's, it's, it's safe. They loved him there. He'd already been anointed king there. Why didn't he just stay in Hebron? Or why not in Bethlehem, where he was from? There's beautiful lush hills there, good shepherding. He was from there. He's familiar. Why Jerusalem in particular did he feel like that's the place? There's no promise. There's nothing that says in the Old Covenant specifically the king has to set up his throne in Jerusalem. How did David know? that this is the place where God's going to set up his kingdom. This is where I need to rule from. And down the road, this is where his temple will be built. And down the road, this is where all the nations will come to seek the Lord and find this place where God had been promising a place in the earth where he would cause his name to dwell. As you read through the uh, Deuteronomy in particular, over and over again, God will promise. He said, but you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for a dwelling. And there you shall come. That's in Deuteronomy. And that's how God introduced the city. Now, he didn't tell them where it was yet. In fact, during the days of Joshua, they never conquered the area called Jerusalem. The Jebusites were there. They couldn't drive him out of the land. David had to do that during his day. Why Jerusalem? God promised, I'm going to put my name there. And that's where my name is going to dwell. There's going to be a place that I'm going to choose. In other words, we don't just decide all of these things. The territory where God sends us, that's our Jerusalem. The place where God says, my name is going to dwell over here. I mean, I don't know. I still don't understand how I ended up in Millersburg. I I, I look back, I've told the story uh, uh, dozens of times. I still have no idea how Queens boy ended up in Millersburg, except for God. He just knows how to order our steps. And for those whose hearts are completely his, those whose hearts say, I don't need to go where I feel comfortable. I'm going to go where you send me. I'm going to be in the geographic place that you said, that's where I belong. Those kind of people establish something for the Lord. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. In the Psalms, it says that uh, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. God, there's something about Zion and Jerusalem are used almost interchangeably for the rest of the, the old covenant after David's day. Zion being the place of his dwelling. He desired it for his habitation. God said to um, Solomon when he dedicated the temple, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Now all the earth is his, all the universe is his. The universe cannot contain God. Why is it, what is it about this city and this specific place that's so important and so special? And I can only find in the scriptures that it's the place where he made covenant with people, where people, Abraham and then David said, this place is yours. I will, uh, will establish something and say, God, you are welcome in this place and you're welcome to go out from this place to the world. For I've chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there and I've chosen David to be over my people Israel. God just has something about this place. So here I put a little map together for you. I remember I got a little laser thing in here. I'm not going to point it at your eye though, even though you, you got me in my house like that. But here, so this little part over here is the city of David in the pink. That's what David established. His son Solomon expanded the kingdom and built the temple right up over here. This is what uh, Jerusalem looked like during Jesus' day, the whole big thing over there. All right, go to the next map for a second. So this is kind of a a basic idea of the city. 
Again, here's the city of David. Here's where the temple was built. And here's what it looked like in the days of Jesus. David built a city that could fit about a thousand people. There wasn't much to look at. I mean, it was a fixer-upper. When he got there, they'd been sacrificing to some weird pagan gods, and, and he got there. But people estimate within the walls that David built, only about a thousand people. That's not really much. But how many of you know the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed? The kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of leaven. It starts out small, but if it's the real deal, you just give it the time. And David built something that Jesus would come to and establish and that, that Solomon would establish. And, and it just became an amazing, righteous place. So the city was called Jebus at the time that David took the city. And that meant something trodden down. It was a mocking name. That name was called Salem when Melchizedek was there. And now it was called Jebus. The name means trodden down. It was a mocking name for the place that God said, my name is going to dwell in this place. This is the downtrodden place. This is a, a fixer-upper. This is the place where, you know, the miscreants and the off-scouring of all things live. How many of you were that way when Jesus found you? Only half of you. The rest of you are just... You were awesome. I'm glad to have you in Christ together with me. Man, I was not. I was not anything you'd never imagine me. All my friends who knew me in college and high school, they find out what I do now when I meet them on Facebook. And uh, you're a what? <laughs> All of us. Maybe you're third, fourth, fifth generation, so you started out at a better place. But all of us at some point were the Jebusites. All of us at some point were the trodden down ones. We were the off-scouring. We were the rejects. We were the ones who came to God and all of our righteousness was filthy rags. And that's all we had to offer. And then God said, I'm going to actually take you and I'm going to start a righteous stronghold with you. And from you is going to be the city of peace. From you is going to be a place where my name is going to dwell. From you is going to be the place that's beautifully situated. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the north of the city of the great king, the psalm says, I'm going to make you into something special. And when people say, wait, didn't that used to be where the Jebusites live? Didn't that used to be? This the most fun part about telling a testimony is when people knew you, B.C., not before COVID, before Christ, right? It's <laughs> like a new B.C. now, before Christ. And they say, didn't you used to, weren't you guy that used to? Yep, yep, that was me. But look what the Lord has done. That's all of our testimony. So he took the place, David started this thing, he took the place that was called the trodden down place, and he turned it into Zion, the stronghold. It means a stronghold or a monument or a pillar, a place where it's like hit the reset button and get back to the stronghold. When everything falls apart, anybody else have everything fall apart ever in your life? For the rest of you who aren't still teenagers someday, Maybe you'll have an experience like that where God just wipes everything out from under you because he's going to give you a fresh start. It's never for destruction. It's always for improvement. If you want to add on to a building, sometimes you've got to demo a portion of it if you want to expand it into something new. And God, that's what God does with all of what the enemy tries to do. So it's a place of returning. It's a place of rest. Get back to the stronghold. The enemy has surrounded us, everybody, to the stronghold. In uh, medieval times, they called it the keep. 
Everybody into the keep. This is where we're going to make our last stands. It's Elms Deep for all of you like Lord of the Rings. It's that place we're all going to rally to, and we're going to make our stand in this place. That is Zion. As you see where Zion is used as opposed to Jerusalem, it's always in that regard. The prophets mostly use Zion to say, someday we're going to go back unto Zion. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord will return and come a singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy will be upon their heads. It's the place where we return, we rest, and we remember this was the place where it all began. If everything falls apart in life, our Zion is the place where we say, I might have lost everything. I lost everything. I own everything I have. Oh, my friends have abandoned me. I'm Job right now. All right, you can have a pity party and pretend like you're as bad off as Job if you want. But when everything comes to that, I've still got my Jesus. I've still got eternity with him. I've still got an inheritance that endures forever. I've got a treasure laid up in a place where moth can't corrupt it, moth and rust can't corrupt it, thieves can't come in and steal it. The enemy might steal, kill, and destroy here in this life, but he can't touch my inheritance in that place. That's our Zion. So David established that place. He was the first. He was the one, I mean, you know, we had a king already, right, Saul? But he liked Gibeah for a, a place. It was pretty. It was nice. I don't know it, why he chose that place. But David said, no, I want my kingdom to be in the place where God said his name is going to dwell. And we looked last week about asking the question of our lives, whose kingdom are we establishing? Are we establishing our own kingdom? This is, a, I feel like, a word for the church for the hour right now that we can occupy our promised land. All of us have, as it were, a place in the promised land. And in America, it feels like we, I mean, in all of history, there's never been a people so prosperous. If you live like a poor American, you are in the world's top 10%. That's just economic reality. We live like kings in this place. But here's the danger of that. Everybody's in their own tents. Everybody's taking care of their own little portion of the promised land. But who's going to establish a place for God's name to dwell, a Jerusalem in the earth? Who's going to stand and say, if God's not glorified in this place, I don't want to just go about my American dream. I don't want to just have a nice life, quiet life, and then hope the future generations get it right. Who's ready to stand? Who's willing to say, in my lifetime, in my generation, I'll establish a place where God will say, now I could build something from there for generations to come where my name will be honored, where prosperity won't replace presence. And that, that's where we are in danger, and that's always where Americans, where we've got to really watch. Jesus, when he said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't being rough on rich people. He wants his people to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Can you all agree to that? Yeah. All right, we want to be wealthy, right? I don't want to be poor. I'm tired of being poor. I was poor for a long time. I, want to be, I don't ever want to be poor again. God took care of us, but I like being wealthy. I, like, I mean, I'm not wealthy, wealthy, but I like having some wealth, learning to manage wealth without that prosperity replacing our desperate need for his presence, removing our gratitude. You know, we've endeavored to do this with our kids. How can you become wealthy and not become spoiled in your wealth? Maintain a heart of gratitude. Remember where it came from. Remember that somebody sacrificed whether in your bloodline or in your life somewhere along the way, somebody sacrificed so that you could begin in a place or created a room in a place for you to prosper. God gave gifts. God gave the ability to make wealth. Somewhere it began, and to maintain that thankfulness is how we hold on to wealth without becoming spoiled by it so much that we say we don't need Jesus anymore. That's what Jesus was getting at. 
Why is it hard for a rich one to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because they've already got everything they need. What's the desperate cry that they have for God to come through? And so we, we contend for this stronghold of peace in our life. We contend for a place where God's honored, where we're not content just to say, well, I've got all of my needs met. God supplied all my needs. And, and now I'm just going to kind of glide by and wait for his return. Where we say, no, no, no. Until this place has been established in the name of the Lord's praise. One, one of my friends said, you know how you know that revival has come or an awakening has come? It's easy for people to find the Lord. It's easy. It's like you don't even need to preach. An evangelist gets up and he says, Jesus loves you. And a crowd of people falls on their face and repents and gives their lives to Christ. That's awakening. That's revival. Until we've established that, until we've established a stronghold of peace, then our work isn't finished in our generation. Contending for a stronghold of peace involves whatever sacrifice is necessary to secure it for future generations. For David, it meant, Joab, can you go do that shaft? Climb up in that murky thing, and I don't know how wide it is, but he's climbing up in that thing, and it's an ugly mess, and, and he gets up in the city, and it's a, an ugly mess in the city, and it's going to require some sacrifice. It's going to require some risk. It's going to require somebody saying, what's on the other side of this is worth it. Even if I don't get to see the fullness of it in my lifetime, I want to secure it for my kids and for their kids and for people that don't even know the Lord surrounding me right now. Strongholds of peace are established by those who believe God's presence is worth any sacrifice. How many of you have long since decided, whatever the cost, I'm going to make my life glorify God. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to put in my hands and take seriously what God's entrusted me with for generations to come. So our Jerusalem, if you will, is the geographic territory that God's established us to build a stronghold for his kingdom. Now, Millersburg for us corporately is our Jerusalem. And I know that we have members of Hillside. We're from Gratz and we're from Herndon, Halifax and Lycans and a bunch of other places around in the valley. But this is the place where God's established us. There's a reason why the building's here, why we gather here, we're Hillside Christian Fellowship, Millersburg. And so this is a place where we begin working together to become that city set on a hill. Now I'm gonna, I w- I'd like to do something that I've never done before, and I hope it's okay, but I'm about to endorse a political candidate who's right here in our midst. Brian Diffenderfer, come on up is going to be running for the school board in Millersburg. There's nothing political about this. This is a wise shepherd brother in Christ who wants to exert his influence at a very important gate in our community. And uh, I exhorted a week or two ago while Brian was at the beach. He heard the word and something rose up in his spirit. And here he is presenting himself before the Lord as a a candidate and I hope a shoe-in to serve the Lord as a gatekeeper. In John 10, when Jesus described the passage on the good shepherd, he described the one who stands at the gate and he opens it. Gatekeepers are the elders of old. They're the ones who decide what comes and what doesn't come. So I'm going to invite us to come forward and pray over Brian right now. Come on and join me, all of you. Especially the elders, especially those who have a position of authority. Dave, mayor of Gratz, would you please come and lay hands on Brian, too, get yourself right on his heart. This is now, we, there is talk 
David was a man of prayer. David was a man of worship. We've seen him. He knew how to maintain the presence of the Lord, but he also was a man of action. To say Jerusalem belongs to the Lord without occupying Jerusalem is just a bunch of pipe dream nonsense. But to say Millersburg belongs to the Lord and all the children of Millersburg belong to the Lord without taking action is also a pile of nonsense. So here's a man who's offering himself a living sacrifice to serve the Lord. Could you guys make room for Dave, the guy in the bright green shirt, to come forward? He's, he's a man already of governmental authority. I'm not saying you don't have to pray over the mic unless you want to, which would be great. But this is a man of actual governmental authority. I know it's the town of Gratz and, and that, but he has authority from heaven for that city. And we want to bless Brian and his desire right now. Yes. So we lay hands on you. And as David was anointed to serve the Lord by serving his people, we anoint you right now. And even though it's just campaigning right now for an election, we bless you right now and say favor be upon you in Jesus' name. May your name be much bigger than the name Diffenderfer is in this community. May it be known by those who have the authority to, to put your name on a ballot and vote that this is the man the Lord has chosen. This is one of the men the Lord has chosen to watch over, watch over what goes into the minds and hearts and souls of our lambs and the youngest of our among us. We bless you and pray that you will have such favor that people will come asking you. People will know this is a man who is sent by the Lord. This is a man who has been anointed and the word of his mouth, the wisdom of, of what he speaks cannot be gainsayer. No one has a response for what this man says. And as the enemy would seek to sow seeds, uh, the tares in the middle of the wheat, we pray this man will be set in a place to say no, not to be sleeping, but to say no, there will be no tares sown among the young ones of our community. Thank you for his willingness to offer himself in this way. And we bless him over these next few weeks before the election. We pray that you will promote this man. Promotion comes from the Lord. Lord, promote this man and make his name known in Jesus' name. Sorry, Dave, do you want to add anything? Or? Yes, doll. Father, we just pray that you would give him the strength in times that he would say, I'm standing alone, but you're, he's never alone because you have placed him, you have called him, you have laid this on his heart. Yes. He might stand strong and mighty in the, in the Lord. We just pray that he would have a soft heart, though, to be able to hear the those that uh, be the voice of those that don't have a voice. Yes, that God. Uh, you would give him a tenderness to just see beyond uh, what looks like in the world, but that you would give him eyes in the supernatural yes. to see the battle that's going on, that you would give him um, wisdom and discernment to speak truth uh, and speak your words when it may get yes. completely against those around him. And Father, we just pray that you would give him the eyes of a watchman, that he would see danger coming far off and be able to sound the alarm and uh, give give the warning to those around, even when those that won't hear that he will stand strong and not back down. Amen. We just pray that you would use him not for this generation, but for generations and generations yes. that come. That uh, the school that he, uh, the district that he is in, may be an example of standing strong for you, and that 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 we would see uh, generations come forth from that that will proclaim your word, 
that will bring forth the light in the darkness and shine brightly to all those around. And uh, we just pray that you would just uh, give him rest when he needs rest. Yes. Give him wisdom and just bless him. Thank you for his life. We thank you for um, his answer of yes to the calling. In your name we need. Amen. 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 So I'll, I'm going to end right here since we're all together. You don't need to get back to your seats. It's time for you to identify your Zion. What is your stronghold? Brian has identified one that he'll be taking on behalf of the saints who live in Millersburg. And he's identified a place that so may have the grace to do the shaft like Joab did. Don't be like Joab, though. He's not a good model. But, but, but be bold like him and courageous like him in that. So identify your Zion and then ask the Lord, is this yet a stronghold of peace? Is, has it been claimed and can I see the fruit and a wall built around it that God, this is God's place now? If not, then what is God's strategy to make it so? For David, it was sending Joab up that shaft. What's the strategy for you to lay claim to your territory, build a wall around it and say, this will belong to the Lord from this time and forever. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus.